Good morning. It is Tuesday, April 25th. It is five minutes after 11 and you're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. And we are so grateful that you are choosing to do that. Thank you for being here with us. So HBO host Bill Maher, he wondered why more people, including celebrities, don't speak out about the devastating crime, especially that has gripped the city of Chicago and led to countless tragic deaths in the night of the teen violence. And why are not more black celebrities speaking out again about the black on black crime that is happening. Yeah, this is a really, really interesting clip, and it's a little longer than the sort of clips we normally play. But I, as I was putting this together yesterday, I thought, you know, where could I edit this? Where could I make this a little shorter? And I don't think I could because it's all relevant together. So it's Mar, mm-hmm. and then this just totally wimpy, weasel, super liberal professor by the name of Daniel Besner. I think he's at the University of Washington. And a radio or a talk show host by the name of Glenn Lurie, who is black. So so this Daniel Besner guy is white. Glenn Lurie is black. And Marr asks this question to them about why more black celebrities aren't speaking out on black on black violence, which as we have chronicled for years now on this radio station, even at a time where we were led to believe everyone is racist and all the cops are bad, the overwhelming majority of black violence is black on black crime. So if the goal is actually to solve violence in the black community in our inner cities, why are more people not speaking out on black on black violence? And Bill Maher, who is a super liberal person, asked this question, and this is a great back and forth, um, where this wimpy liberal professor, this Daniel Besner, tries to blame capitalism, and Marr and Glenn Lurie, the black guy, aren't having any of it. I mean, uh, why aren't there, uh, you know, a uh, 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 hundred giant black celebrities who would have the respect of those people saying, what are you doing to yourselves? Why are you killing each other? This I mean, is I no just... way to live. This dishonors our community. Come on. Uh, we're better than this. Right. I feel like it's never addressed. It's... I, I, but I think also attacking the problem would involve some sort of, again, material redistribution. So it's not an especial surprise that corporate media doesn't talk about an issue that would involve the people who run corporations and people who star on shows to give up their money. So I think that's so how would giving up? Well. How would that actually change this? Take me through. No, you take me through how giving more money would change this because we have spent trillions of dollars on the war on poverty. Exactly. So uh, and I'd be curious to hear what Glenn thinks about this, because the culture of poverty argument, as first articulated by Oscar Lewis, was the, the argument was specifically about it being caused by a capitalistic society that's alienated and individualistic and where certain people win and other people lose. So I don't think just like if, if everyone in Chicago all of a sudden started studying for the SATs and got 1600s tomorrow, that wouldn't necessarily change. Just if we gave billions of dollars, I don't think it would necessarily change. I think this is a generation long project that involves really reforming the structure of American capitalist society, which I think has engendered a lot of the alienation and loneliness that we've been talking about this entire time. Okay, but you didn't really follow the money for me. In terms of what? You take more money, and then how does this change the behavior? It's speculative, and what I would uh, want to observe is that any structural move that you want to make requires a majority of the people to get behind it. Requires 
democratic politics to get behind it. And in order to get a majority of the voters in Chicago or any place else to get behind anything that's going to cost them money, they have to feel safe. They have to feel that the people who are in charge are on their side. And that's why Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson needs to come and give speeches in which he says this is contemptible behavior. We won't tolerate it in our city. The reason we have cops is precisely in order to stop this from happening. And if you do it on, our, on my watch, you're going to go to jail. That was perfect. His yeah. response was so good. And that guy, you noticed he wanted to deflect and dodge out of Mars' question to him about, okay, help me understand how money, giving mm-hmm. money to other people, mm-hmm. helps stop people from shooting each other. And he got no answer because it doesn't do anything. Yeah. So crime is crime. And it doesn't matter if it's black on white crime, black on black, white on white. Crime is crime. And there's short-term and there's long-term solutions. Short-term, lock up the criminals that are doing this. When the word to describe the crime is more offensive than the crime, well, there you have a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And this also, I think, goes back to, he mentioned, why don't we have more celebrity, black celebrities coming out, speaking out about this, um, in in effect, being an influencer. Right. Okay, who is the original influencer of children? Their parents. Bingo. So let's talk about how this starts in the home and these fatherless households. There's where the accountability begins. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, Wanted to play this clip because we had actually touched on this the other day. The new Bud Weiser, Bud Light ad. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're in huge trouble over the Dylan Mulvaney thing. You're talking about the Clydesdale Yes, the one with the Clydesdales. And we had pointed out how... The apology ad. But the problem is there is no apology. The the anti-apology ad. All Bud Weiser would have had to do, and this thing would have been resolved a long time ago is come out and say, we made an egregious mistake. We were trying to expand our consumer base. We clearly have offended our core clientele. We are sorry. We hear you. We will not let this happen again. Same thing we've talked about with the school corporations and this video of these these administrators saying, yeah, we do CRT, et cetera. Look at how Plainfield is standing behind this woman instead of if they just said, you're right, this woman is totally out of touch with us and our values. She's out of here. We don't do that. Anybody else caught doing it, they're gone. No, they try to double and triple down this, telling parents, you, it doesn't matter what you saw. You didn't see what you saw. We don't do that here. Same thing with Bud Light. They just won't say, we messed up. We're super sorry. We hear you. It won't happen again. This thing would all be over by now. Yeah, if they would just do the three-step process. It's so easy. Do you want to repeat that again for the, people who may not know what the three-step process is? The three-step process. Admit your mistake. Apologize for your mistake. Take corrective action. Yeah. So, <laughs> Joe Rogan. They Ro- came close. They came close. <laughs> Joe Rogan and Jim Brewer, who is a fairly famous comedian, mm-hmm. um, he was on Rogan, and they are watching this Bud Light ad basically in real time. Like, so they're putting it up on their screen and they're commenting on it as they're seeing it. And so I'm going to play you just a little bit of this. Kevin, I hope you bleep this because there are so many bleeps that needed here. <laughs> if he didn't get it all, it's all Kevin's fault. But this is hilarious <laughs> watching these two guys watch this Bud Light ad. Bro, you got to watch this Bud Light commercial. This new Bud Light commercial. Find the new it's Bud just, Light commercial. It's, it's just like it's the, the dumbest pro-America rah-rah. It's so stupid and cliche. It 
and it hurts my feelings. It's so dumb. <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> this is a company in deep. Bro, <laughs> and they make things like this. Look, you got the prairies, the ocean. You got a Clydesdale running down the street. A story Whoa. about a beer <laughs> rooted in the heart of America, <laughs> found in a community where a handshake is a sure contract. <laughs> what the f- are you talking about? <laughs> and challenge. You know, I would respect I know them what this is. if they had this, and then Dylan Mulvaney just starts cartwheeling into the frame. <laughs> and it goes on through the whole, and it's, just, it's so good. They're really funny. Great okay. job, Kevin, by the way. <laughs> yeah, good job, Kevin, because there were a lot of words that needed to bleep there. It's just like Joe Rogan. So it seems that Miller Light and Coors Light have gained in market share yeah. exactly what Bud Light has lost. Yeah, well, and it makes sense. And I will tell you again, uh, as you know, I have, because I, well, everything is very inexpensive right now, Casey. And yeah, yeah our sure it is. Republicans are doing such a phenomenal job on property and gas taxes. Uh, just for fun, I decided to go get a second job. And in that second job, I do serve uh, adult beverages from, from time to time. And I will tell you in the past, whatever this has been now, three weeks, I have not served one Bud Light, and I work at a place, as you know, in which people often will go and drink like fishes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that is my own anecdotal observation. This thing has not gone away, and people are really upset. I was out last weekend with the dude, and he had a, he was going to put on a Budweiser shirt. It wasn't Bud Light. It was Budweiser. And I looked at him, and I said... <laughs> What are you doing? And he was like, I like this t-shirt. I said, no, you cannot. You cannot. Because I'm not up for getting into a fight today. Not that he was trying to send any message. He wasn't making a statement. It was literally just a t-shirt that he liked and it was comfortable. And I said, no, we can't do it. And he said, what? I can never wear this t-shirt again. And I was like, yeah, not right now. No, you can't. I can't tell you how many super fans you just made. The fact that you told your mans, you are, I'm not being seen in public. Don't with change the- your clothes. <laughs> We're not doing this. But the thing with the whole Dylan Mulvaney is, you know, when it first happened, I was really worked up about this yeah. guy. Really upset me. It irked me, right? Mm-hmm. And now the more video I see of him coming out, he's just a wannabe, just a look at me. He'll do anything for fame and money. I don't even know if he believes in any of this himself. No, I talked. He's a complete troll. Yep. And I think the only one who's buying into this act are these corporations. Like, I don't think anybody else is really... He's not believable anymore. It doesn't even make me mad. I'm so over it. I think he's just such a non... Like, I don't... Whatever. Yeah. I'm like, so so past it. Yeah. All right, Casey, when we come back, mm-hmm. we have talked a lot on this show about how next year when the House and Senate uh, candidates here in Indiana are up for re-election, the Republicans... We have got to bombard them with primary challenges and general election challenges because they are abusing your finances. The reason they are abusing your finances with record record property taxes, record gas taxes, record government spending is because they don't fear you. And when we come back, we're going to have a guy. His name is Nick Sarwark. He's with the Libertarian Policy Institute. And one of the things they are trying to do is recruit candidates Mm -hmm. across the country 
to challenge incumbent candidates. Now, the name says Libertarian Policy Institute, but they are recruiting Republicans, they are recruiting Democrats, they are recruiting Libertarians. Independents. Because they know what's going on in places like Indiana, and they recognize, as we have said, Mm -hmm. the only way to get these people is to get them out of office and make them fear you. So he's going to join us to talk about what they're doing, how they're trying to recruit these candidates, and how you can get involved if you want to make a difference. It's coming up next with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. So let's talk about how to outsmart companies. 93 WIBC. It is the Kindle and Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey's here. And one of the big things we talk about a lot on this show, and I think it has become abundantly clear to many of you this year, is how little... The Republicans actually care about you in the Indiana General Assembly. I think it's been on display from everything from property taxes to gas taxes and a whole lot of other instances. And a big part of this, a big reason why, is because they feel super safe in their super majorities and they think there's nothing you're going to do about it. But one group is focused on recruiting New people to run for public office from all the parties, Republicans, Libertarians, Democrats, and their goal in getting people to run for public office and challenge incumbents is to come up with a core group of ideas to center their campaigns around. The group is known as the Libertarian Policy Institute, and the head of the Libertarian Policy Institute joins us now. His name is Nick Sarwark. Nick, how are you? I'm doing great, Rob. So good to be in Indianapolis. So you were the national chair of the Libertarian Party for three terms, and then you decided we got to do something else. So tell us about the Libertarian Policy Institute and what what you guys are doing and why. Yeah, when I was chair of the party, you know, I would talk to people around the country about Libertarian Party candidates, and they would say, I love the ideas you have, but... I'm loyal to my party. I have to vote for them. I'm Republican, do or die. And, you know, I can't cross over. So when I stopped being a partisan, I realized that we should just focus on the policies because policies aren't partisan. You know, you either want to lock people up for smoking a little weed after they go home, you know, to relax or you don't. That doesn't matter whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent. And what we saw was a lot of states around this country end up dominated by one party or the other. And once there's no political competition, politicians don't do the right thing, believe it or not. So we wanted to... Boy, doesn't that sound familiar, Casey? (laughs) They're not afraid. Yeah, that's that's one of the things we've said here in Indiana, Nick, is these Republicans believe they're so secure in these supermajorities that no matter what they do, whether record property taxes, the record gas tax, the record budgets, the record government, you're not going to do anything to us. So what does it matter? Yeah. So we figured out a strategy to fix the problem. Um, And, you know, we'll use an example like Mississippi, which is a state we're active in this year because they have odd year elections. We identified three major issues that are good for all Mississippians that have a majority of support in polling and amongst the voters. Legalizing cannabis for adults, making it easier to open charter schools so kids can get a better education, and uh, repealing their 7% grocery tax that takes $7 out 
of every hundred off of people's table. These are issues that need to get done. And for whatever reason, the dominant party in Mississippi, you know, where four out of five legislative seats go uncontested, they're not going to do them unless they get competition. So we recruit candidates on those issues and we don't care how they run. It's just to make sure that everybody in the state, that's the goal, has somebody running for House or Senate that they can vote for that will fix these problems. And we've talked about that, Casey, here, where imagine if you have every candidate, Republican or Democrat or Libertarian, running on the property tax system here is so flawed and they're skyrocketing and they're out of control. Think about how much better the eventual public policy would be. Yeah, because people would have to answer questions, which is they don't have that right now. They don't have to answer questions. Right. When you get a a 70-30 split in a district, and almost every district in this country has been gerrymandered that way, nobody's afraid of that 30% party because no one will cross over, right? Whichever party you like, the other one is the evil party. So you're locked in. You know, that person has no competition. If you run somebody who just says, I only have a couple of things that I want to fix. It's not about me. It's not about a party. It's about these things need to be solved. And because you, Mr. Incumbent, is you're not going to do it. I think you need some competition. Nick, now you mentioned, I'm sorry. No, no, I was just going to say Nick Sarwark is our guest with the Libertarian Policy Institute. We're talking about recruiting new people to run for public office across the country, including right here in Indiana. Go ahead, Casey. Nick, you had mentioned that one of the things that your institute does is identify what some different uh, policies are in different areas. Can you tell us what are the three big things in Indiana or Indianapolis? Because you're here, you're doing something here, something I, big. I don't know yet. I'm Actually, that's the reason I'm in town, is we're looking at Indiana as a potential target state in 2024, and I'm meeting with people to find out what what resonates here. I know that you know cannabis is not legal in Indiana, even though it's a huge basketball state, and the NBA just dropped their their restrictions on cannabis it costs a lot of money to arrest people for weed that you could be spending to solve i don't know the gun violence problem so that's probably a big one but if you guys have property tax problems you know structural changes to that would help and you know i've also talked to people who say the way the general assembly works the the actual process is so broken that maybe having candidates who say look I'm committed to making sure there's an open process with hearings and actual votes so people will go on record and can be held accountable. Now, you had mentioned that you're looking at things in Indiana, but you have targeted it as one of the states. Is there a reason why you picked Indiana? I mean, like, are we ripe for the plucking? Yeah. So one of the big reasons we target states for, you know, what we call the Golden Spike Program, where there's so little political competition, you know, a state like Mississippi, where in 2019, four out of every five seats in that legislature had only one candidate on the ballot at all. And the kind of partisan split you've got in Indiana, where it's just hyper dominated by Republicans um, or the split that you have in states like, say, Massachusetts, where it's hyper dominated by Democrats. That's where we can have the most impact for regular people, because there really is no voice for the 80 percent of us that, you know, aren't in a place where we can just call up a congressman and tell him what we want done or talk to a lobbyist or get the party chair on the phone. We need help for the things that make our lives better, that make it easier for Hoosiers to, you know, get a job, 
build a life, have a family, feel safe. Those are the things that are not being focused on. Instead, the parties are focusing on the things that make their donors happy, make the lobbyists happy, make the companies happy. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it, Casey? <laughs> Making the donors and the lobbyists happy uh-huh. at the expense of the people. So the, Nick Sarwark is our guest. He's part of the Libertarian Policy Institute. We're talking about recruiting new people to run. And again, I, I think it's important you reiterate as we're having this conversation, it says Libertarian Policy Institute. But you're looking for people across the board, across the spectrum. It, basically, you know, the way I look at it, it's like football, right? You, the, the Colts play good football, um, you know, and, <laughs> and from well. time to time, <laughs> from time to time, you know, the Broncos may play good football, too. But there's a partisan identity that says, you know, I'm not going to root for that other team because they're the bad team. But good football is good football. And good policy is good policy. So we want people who are going to be champions to solve focused problems. And we try and stick to only three issues per state per cycle because we want to just say, look, we want to get a couple of things done. We don't want to try and do too much. We don't want to make you buy into everything. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with if you're a Democrat running to legalize cannabis for adults or if you're a Republican running to legalize cannabis for adults or a libertarian or an independent. It's the right thing to do for the people, and so we're going to support you. All right, let's take a quick break. Again, Nick Sarwark is our guest. He is the head of the Libertarian Policy Institute. We're talking about their goal to recruit people to run for public office across all parties around a core set of ideas to challenge the incumbent Republican supermajorities that have really done a lot of damage to your finances. We'll talk about that more when we come back. It's Kendall Casey Show, 93 WIBC. Rock and roll sky. to run for public office to make some much-needed changes at the Indiana General Assembly. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey's here. We're continuing our conversation now with Nick Sarwark. He is the head of the Libertarian Policy Institute, and their goal across this country is to recruit new people to challenge incumbents, uh, including right here in Indiana, around a core set of issues uh, that resonate with people in the states they are challenging those incumbents. You were the National Libertarian Party chair for three terms. You clearly lost a bet or had a death wish or something. So let's talk about that for a second, because we're going to have Donald Rainwater on Friday, and he's going to make a big announcement. I can't imagine what that would be. I wonder. Uh, I think it could be that he's going to run for governor, but that's it. It'll it'll be his time on Friday to decide what he wants to do. He did very well in 2020 running for governor, had, you know, hundreds of thousands of votes 345 i think was the number ended up with like 11 and a half percent of the vote it was an incredible number when you look at a rainwater performance do you say well he just kind of tapped into a big issue which was people hated the governor because of the covid lockdowns how do you how how would you build upon that because we need people like rainwater to do well of course i'm assuming he's going to run again mm-hmm. uh, when he makes that announcement. We need him to do well again because he helped hold politicians accountable. Yeah, what we are looking to do is the same thing that Don did back in that election where he identified an issue that was important to the people that the dominant political apparatus was not speaking to. You know, and I don't think it's that again, right? We're we're well past the issues that were going on in that gubernatorial race, but there are issues that are not going to get addressed unless somebody steps outside the box and says, you know, it's not about me, 
It's about you and what's right for your family. And I want to step up and stand up for those those Hoosiers who who don't have lobbyists in their pocket, who aren't part of a, a political establishment. Indiana is one of the most uh, effective in terms of libertarian vote totals across the nation. I think this radio show and the radio station has a big part in it. We saw Jeff Moore, who was the libertarian nominee for secretary of state, go way up in vote totals from 2018, while the other two major parties went down by hundreds of thousands of votes. We talked about Don, but it seems like the libertarian struggle outside of, in this case, like our listening area, our audience is super tuned into what's going on. But in the other counties outside of the 17 or so where you hear this station really strong, it's the, you know, still the three, four, five percent. How does how do libertarians build that brand so they can start being effective in terms of not just, hey, we're a protest vote. We're a vote to win. Yeah, you you have to follow the strategies that have worked in the past. One of the things that Newt Gingrich did with the contract for America Mm -hmm. was nationalize something, make it so that everybody's speaking off of the same script. Everybody's singing off of the same hymn book. And oftentimes libertarian candidates sort of get isolated in their own little bucket you know that they're they're just one guy you know jeff's great don's great but they're they're alone if you run 125 legislative candidates in 2024 which would be our goal if we targeted indiana is that every every hoosier has a rep and a senate candidate who's going to advance the three policy priorities we've got for that year then the whole state knows this is what these people are focused on you know and and i'm voting for the candidate that wants to support these priorities and they happen to be a democrat or they happen to be a republican or they happen to be a libertarian but i think it's probably more likely that the libertarian candidates are going to support the libertarian policies and that's great but if we can get some people to to come around you know in alabama we had a lieutenant governor candidate African-American woman pushing really hard to get rid of their grocery tax statewide race against a Republican who beat her, you know, 85, 15 or something just blew her out of the water. But this year in the state house after the election, the grocery tax comes up and this Republican lieutenant governor whose party is always opposed repealing the grocery tax comes out and says, I'm for it now. That's real policy change, right? She didn't win that election. But the people of Alabama are winning because we're pushing the issue and we're not going to go away after the cycle. We still have a state coordinator in the state that's making sure that our supporters are calling the people who won and saying, look, I didn't vote for you. I voted for the other person because of this. I really hope that you'll change your mind. Yeah. Part of it is just bringing awareness to it is what you're saying. Yeah. Awareness and maintaining pressure. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of politicians can stand up during a primary and if they can make it through the primary, that's the last time they have to be accountable to a voter Mm. for four years. Yeah. If you build up a group of Hoosiers in the state, you know, with people like Jeff Moore, who's helping us make those connections, then there's a base for policy that's good separate from party right different from party it's it's you can be both you can be a super loyal trump republican and still think that these policies are the right thing you have mentioned uh you know getting people involved and for example maybe there's an activist who's listening and thinks maybe i could do this but i've never really thought about it seriously what sort of characteristics do you look for 
You know, the biggest one is one that you don't see enough of in politics. We look for people who care about their neighbors, who want to make things better for other people in the community who aren't, you know, say a real estate agent who's just trying to get their name out or aren't, uh, you know, an up and comer in the party who wants to get a paid position as a lobbyist or an aide to a, a politician. We look for people. Frankly, we do direct recruiting of candidates. We contact normal people, regular human beings and say, I know you've never thought about running for office, but if you focus on what you're going to do for others and you you don't focus on yourself. And I think that that really resonates with the attitude that I get from Hoosiers. You know, that that humble desire to be kind and reduce suffering in the community. That's what we look for. We look for people that really have a heart for others. I uh, I love this. I hope you guys do get involved in Indiana. The Republicans need to lose. I've said this publicly. I don't even care who it is at this point. If it's a Democrat that wins, great. If it's a Libertarian that wins, fine. Uh, we need to beat all these guys in a primary because they don't respect the people. They're arrogant. They're narcissistic. They're self-absorbed. In many ways, they're sociopaths. They don't care. Nick's very but calm what's and wrong nice with them? Uh, you know, and, and, and I think it's great. If you can help make that happen, that's wonderful hey if people want to learn more about what you're doing at the libertarian policy institute tell us about how they can do that yeah so our website is libertarianpolicy.org they can go there sign up to become a a supporting member or just get on our mailing list that's where they'll find contact information for our state director here in indiana and other states around the country if people are listening maybe online or they hear it archived and you know we have the ability to help you figure out whether or not you're the kind of person that wants to run where our door is always open to talk to you about what do you want to do to make your community better and what could we solve and honestly if people have ideas for what is not getting done here in indiana that needs to get done to make things better i want to hear them so that we can make sure that that gets done here in 2024 and the the website again libertarianpolicy.org nick sarwark former national libertarian chair now running the libertarian policy institute thanks man we appreciate you thank you so much 93 WIBC, it's Kendall and Casey Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Oh. Well, I'll keep on oh, yeah, Kim! There you go. It is 11.45. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. So from Syria to Somalia, most U.S. citizens have no idea where we fight and why. That is according to Jesse Ventura. He says $842 billion. That is the 24 proposed budget for the U.S. Department of Defense. $842 billion. You know why I love our show, Casey? You may know we're number one. I've heard heard that. that. You know, some people down the street will say no one listens, but weird, the scientific ratings say we're number one. Mm -hmm. I love our show and I love our audience, most importantly, because our audience, well, most of them, most of them are reasonable. Why are you looking at me like that? (laughs) Because I know, Rob, because I know. Go ahead. Most of our audience (laughs) are reasonable, rational adults who can have reasonable, rational conversations. 
They can hear things that the majority of people think, and we say the things that other people think and are afraid to say out loud. So like here in just a moment, we're going to play a clip of Jesse Ventura that Mm -hmm. compares Russia and Ukraine to the U.S. and Iraq. That might be something that other shows wouldn't play. But we, us, know our audience are adult enough and of sound mind enough and mature enough to be able to have adult conversations. Like, I don't know if a program is bringing in less than it's putting out, then that program is going to go insolvent. Now, I know some people get really mad if I use the word entitlement. Mm Mm-hmm. But we should be able to have that conversation, which is basic math. Now, it's not woke CRT math, but it's basic math that if you take out more of something than you're putting in, that's going to go bankrupt. Yeah. And our audience, most of them, apparently there's some of them who can't, but most of them really enjoy that we're willing to have that conversation and say, hey, we need to do something so that everyone can enjoy the fruits of the program they're paying into. Also on this program, we can have a conversation about people who have been in public office for a very, 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 very long time and have not only not solved any problems, that they have created one problem after another and our audience is mature enough and deep thinkers enough to say, you know what? That's right. It's probably time for those people to go. If you started at 30 and you're at 80 and you haven't fixed the problem, it's probably okay for the radio guy to call your capacity to fix the problem into question. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love our audience. I just wanted to put that out there. Okay. Because our audience is capable of having the tough conversations and not crying to other people about where the microphone might have hurt you. They're capable of saying, they're right, we've got to man up and have the hard conversations. Like this one, Jesse Ventura is trying to have. You don't like the questions I ask, so I'll ask you one today. Please explain to me the difference between Putin's invasion of Ukraine and our invasion of Iraq. Somebody tell me what was different. Why was ours considered okay and Russia's not? The only, they're both for the same thing, regime change. Same thing. We want to change who is governing Iraq. Putin wanted to change who is governing Ukraine. Now, don't get me wrong, I didn't support either war. They both suck. <laughs> okay. So how do you bring peace to Ukraine? yet prevent another nuclear standoff with the United States and Russia? I think the biggest question is, and it is the same question that should have been asked in Iraq and Afghanistan, in terms of U.S. involvement, what is victory, when are we out, and how do we get out? That's a good question. What does success look like? Because it doesn't necessarily mean winning the war right you're correct and we never from our government get definitions of success in these wars 
They're always vague enough that we can always stay in there because the mission is never accomplished. Well, because the line is moved. Yes, and you are seeing in the Ukraine, now it is not physical soldiers yet, being the key word, we're getting there. Because when our president and our government, in a bipartisan fashion, make never-ending commitments to someone, the inevitable end is human sacrifice. But in the case of just a monetary sacrifice, we have made billions upon billions of printed money commitment to Ukraine, which since we have no actual money because we're $32 trillion in debt, every dollar we give them is a printed dollar, which makes our stuff more expensive because that's inflation. Even Janet Yellen has admitted that. And we are never getting a clear definition from this administration, or let's take them out of the equation. You don't like that from Mitch McConnell, because Mitch McConnell and his, and Todd Young have said, this is the most important thing for us, is Ukraine. Screw you that you can't pay your rent. Screw you that you can't afford to put clothes on your kid's back. Screw you that everything has record prices and you can't afford to take care of you and yours. Ukraine is more important to us than you. They've both done it, both parties. And they never tell you when we've won. They never tell you what success is. They never tell you when we're getting out. It's the same thing George W. Bush did in Iraq when he got Colin Powell to go to the U.N. and totally manipulate information to give him the result he wanted to be able to justify to the American people that we needed to go in there. Oh, remember, you're going to end up in a mushroom cloud. That was their thing. He's got all these nuclear weapons. Where are they? They were never found. Boy, isn't that convenient. A guy who we caught hiding in a hole was so disorganized, he lived basically the remainders of his days after we went in there in a hole, but he somehow magically got all these nuclear weapons out of there, and they were never found. Boy, wasn't that convenient. Same thing here. What is success? Mm -hmm. They will not define it. Yep. What's going on in Ukraine that is so valuable? Great question. And boy, isn't it sure coincidence that the president's son just happen to have business dealings over there. It just so happens to be very convenient that the big guy, Joe Biden, is in on 10% of his kids' business dealings and Hunter Biden had business dealings over there. It's just so convenient that a bunch of Ukrainian money ended up with the FTX guy who's looking at a lifetime in a, in a, in a prison cell and magically, before he ended up there, FTX guy gave tens of millions of dollars to Democrats and Democrat causes. But the thing I really appreciate about our audience, Casey, is whether it's this right here, Mm -hmm. Ukraine and Mm -hmm. our endless amount of printed money going there, or government programs that are clearly going bankrupt, or the fact that if someone has been in office for 50 years and has not yet solved the problem and we think it's time to go, We can have those conversations and they don't come crying to us that that's too hard to hear. Because on this program, we tell you what is real. Not the thing that's going to give you a hug and make you feel good. We're not going to tell you the thing that'll make you skip down the street. We're number one because we tell you about what's really going on in the world and we think you're mature enough to handle it. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. It is 1154. Something I want to bring your attention to. How long have you been at your job? 
Too long. Day or two. <laughs> one Indiana man has been digging his job for 68 years and 191 days. His name is Alan McCloskey. How long? 68 years and 91 days. Wow. This, he should run for Congress. This Hoosier has been recognized by the Guinness World Records book for the longest career as... A grave digger. Oh, no! He's dug over 5,000 graves across 21 cemeteries in Cass County here in Indiana. If you want to read more about him and how he's been honored, just head over to WIBC.com and select the side piece. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Kevin. Good job today. And thank you for listening. We're going to count on you to be back here tomorrow. It is Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC.